Howdy. Welcome to the podcast. Cooper's Code examines a legal issue and hits that issue's key practice pointers and strategic highlights so we can all achieve the best results for our clients. I'm Miles Cooper, and with today's guest, Hendrick White, our pre-litigation and intake manager, we'll be discussing insurance, specifically insurance coverage conversations with clients and anyone else willing to listen. We sometimes feel like insurance salespeople when we talk with our clients because so many of the folks we speak with, unfortunately, find out they don't have the coverage they need for what happened to them. Before we get into today's topic, a few words about Cooper's LLP. We at Cooper's are committed to thought leadership, developing the best talent, and honing skills through learning, practice, trial, and the relentless pursuit of justice for consumers. With lawyers licensed in California, Oregon, and Washington, we're available free strategic consultation on cases, and we accept referrals and trial co-counsel opportunities. For more information, visit our website at coopers.law. Welcome, Andrew. Thanks for having me. We know all of our cases stand on a tripod. They need three things, liability, damages, and collectability. The three cherries. Exactly. On the collectability side, is that an area that you see when initially engaging with folks as a challenge? If we got liability and we've got a catastrophic event, what's the big thing that we need to figure out? Yeah, that is definitely the challenge. I feel far between when you got everything all lined up, especially in the beginning there. Maybe the damages are there. You'll know that off the bat. You know, oh, your injuries. And I know how much those are generally valued in this jurisdiction. You may not know how the other side is going to interpret liability. Or it may take a fairly long time to even find out what insurance policies are in play for the defendant. So on the onset of the case, rarely will you have those three cherries figured out. One of the things that I find I'm frequently having a conversation since a lot of our clients are cyclists, meaning bicycle. One thing that most people don't know is what role uninsured or underinsured auto coverage plays in that world. Do, do you have this experience? Yes. Most of the time, people do not realize that if they do have auto insurance, even though they're on their bike, they could have uh, underinsured motors or UIM coverage that, that they can access, even if they're riding on the bike and they were hit by a car. Generally speaking, if you're touched by a car and your injuries flow from that contact, your own uninsurance comes into play. And so that's when we're sitting down with clients at the beginning and saying, hey, while we don't know how much insurance the other side might have, let's start talking about what might cover you in a worst case scenario. So whether they're driving a car or a passenger in somebody else's car or a pedestrian crossing the street, they've been struck or a cyclist and they've been struck. We then start saying, okay, do you personally have auto insurance? Yeah. On the cyclist client, you often get the response, I was riding a bike. What does it matter? One in three drivers in California have what is known as the California minimum, which is just bare bones barely enough insurance to cover even an emergency room visit, or they're driving without insurance entirely. And so that means that one in three incidents that we see, the only thing that's going to be there really to cover you is this underinsured motors coverage, so long as you have an auto policy. So that's why I have a non-owner operator policy so that I'm covered if I get hit by somebody else out there when I'm riding to work or I'm out riding with the kids. Yeah. And this doesn't end at cyclists if you're a pedestrian as well. If you're injured by a car and you have auto insurance and you're not driving a car, you're crossing the street, still kicks in there. I will say my conversation with a client doesn't stop there. It also talks about how much insurance you might want to have as far as that's concerned. I generally recommend people, if they can afford it, 
to get the most insurance they possibly can. And the reason I say that is with an auto policy, typically you can get an auto policy up to a million dollars. Your underinsured motorist will follow whatever your liability limit is. So if you've got a million dollar liability limit, that means there's a million dollars to cover you if somebody else hits you, which while it may not cover you for all the things, if it's truly a catastrophic event, it is the cheapest disability insurance that somebody can buy. Yeah, that's interesting to look at it as like a disability insurance, um, having the underinsured motors. The difference is how long does it take to get that in, that money? That is definitely true. That's a good segue to talk for a second about disability insurance. So when we're talking with our clients, one of the things that can come in to help them out if they have properly thought ahead is a disability insurance policy. There are a few different disability insurance evaluations that one can do. There's state disability that one can file for. There, if it's going to be a serious long-term injury, there's SSDI through the federal government. Some people also have what are known as disability insurance policies, a private pay, where they have gone out through MetLife or some other organization and paid for something that kicks in after 30 days or 60 days or a few months to pay for an injury if it's going to last for a long time. Yeah. The interesting thing about that is Sometimes big employers have these policies and employees don't even know about it. So that's one of the things we tell our clients, go talk to your employer, see if they have this benefit. Sometimes a person will have it and they didn't even realize that their spouse had gotten it for them. So you're absolutely right to talk about disability insurance is one of the other things that you need to talk to your client about. Yeah, you definitely want to talk about it. And I find it, it's kind of rare and you think you'd see it more often, but also you're not going to see it with every client. It would be those clients that are catastrophically injured that they're not going back to work for a while. So that's probably another reason why I don't see it as often as I think I should. Definitely disability insurance is something to add to your calculus on protection. On the disability policy, there are also lien concerns that we need to talk about for just a second. With any disability policy, oftentimes there is a subrogation right. And if there is disability, if disability insurance is paid out, we need to make a note of that. We need to put it in the file and we need to know that we're going to have to negotiate whatever the payment was that was made. It's great to have that supplemental income through the course of a case to offset the loss of income, but it is something that needs to be negotiated at the back end. Yeah, definitely. And it goes into your whole calculus of paying back liens in the end of the case anyway. Having the disability lien in there kind of change your strategy with the health insurance lien as well, or you can use them against each other. Definitely true. I want to return though for a second on talking about auto insurance. And one of the other things that I feel it's important to bring up with clients is, well, the underinsured motors portion is important. The other piece that is really good about having a higher level of insurance is to help make sure that any assets that they have down the road are protected. Because while they're here talking to us about an injury that they've sustained, they want to make sure that if they're receiving any significant amount of money from the case, that that money is protected down the line, or if they've saved up money or if they own a home. And the best way to do that is to make sure that if you hit somebody while you're driving and they get injured, that you've got a lot of insurance to cover that event. Yeah. Again, that's why setting those insurance limits while we're personal injury lawyers, telling people to make sure that their limits are set high, it helps them make sure that their assets are protected because there are a lot of lawyers who, if you adequately insure yourself, they're not going to go after personal assets absent egregious circumstances. The lawyers looking at how difficult it is to get to that asset compared to like, oh, there's a policy that's a lot easier to get to. I can avoid going to trial. And 
have a very similar cost benefit analysis. Settling for that $1 million policy, going to trial and getting 1.5 and piece of the house. But that took an extra three years and it cost 250000 to go to trial. And that piece of the house is covered under a Homestead Act. Yeah. And so it's it's wait until that person sells the home. Yeah. Or bankruptcy comes into play and you're like, oh, how do we get through this? <laughs> Protecting assets, it's a balance. You want to look at how much can I afford? How much asset do I have? What's the likelihood that I'm going to cause a million dollars in damages? I drive my car once a week um, and it's to go grocery shopping. And I'm more interested in making sure I have enough insurance for me if I'm injured by someone else. And I think you mentioned this earlier, your liability auto insurance, whatever that limit is, say it's 250 or 500, that's what your UIM is going to be. It mirrors what your liability is. So I'm more interested in protecting myself from underinsured motorists. And that's why my liability limits are high. That makes sense. You mentioned what are the chances are that you're going to injure somebody so badly that it hits that nearly 1 million coverage. As I have this insurance conversation with people, there are a couple other areas of insurance that I usually will will suggest to them. Oftentimes homeowners or renters insurance will come up in conversations and it'll come up oftentimes with our cycling clients. If there's some claim from the other side, if the liability is contested and a car got damaged from the impact, sometimes you'll see the insurance company for the car coming back against the cyclist and saying, oh, well, you scratched our client's car. We're State Farm. We need $2,500 for the damage of the car. And that's where this insurance scenario gets really wonky. The auto insurance and underinsured motorist will cover the cyclist if there's not enough insurance and provide injury coverage there. But there's no defense, no liability as far as making contact with a car. That comes from your personal liability policy, which is what your homeowners or your renters is, which people don't really recognize that homeowners and renters insurance covers you if you inadvertently hurt somebody, even if you're off the premises of your home, hurt somebody or cause damage. Yeah. And that ties in with, you know, dog bites and stuff like that. Yes. One of the things we do recommend as part of the insurance portfolio for people is to make sure if you own a home, you're going to have homeowners insurance, usually because the mortgage company is going to require it. But if you rent it's very wise to have renter's insurance to cover you in case you hurt somebody or cause damage to something else. And because if you live in a, say, an apartment building that burns down. Yeah, I was going to mention that in San Francisco, your Victorian you live in is split into like 15 units. <laughs> yeah. Like each room is a new unit. That somehow they converted it to 15 units. So you got a bunch of people living in there. Someone leaves a candle on and knocks it over. And next thing you know, like you got smoke damage, fire damage. You have to have renter's insurance in San Francisco. Yeah. It's somewhat stunning how frequently you chat with somebody and and they don't even understand, but I live in somebody else's building that will cover it. Not always. And and it certainly won't cover... Your liability. Well, your liability. Also, if the place burns down, who's going to pay for your rent while they rebuild that place? Right. And that's one of the other nice things about renter's insurance is they usually have a displacement provision where if you get displaced, you're covered meaning your apartment will be paid for until your apartment is ready to return to. Right. And I mean, your liability, what if you caused the fire? Yeah, definitely. The owner's insurance is not going to cover the claim on you. The candle that you had that burned yeah, down to yeah, another. Yeah. yeah. I say that because in college I had um, my first apartment off campus. A uh, older couple lived next door. We didn't share a wall. There was a staircase that separated it. And uh, we came home from a night out and... Uh, saw like 
the whole street blocked off with fire trucks. I fell asleep with the candle going, caught the apartment on fire, smoke damage to all the units except ours. Wow. So we stayed. Lucky you. But yeah, so that happens. Yeah. The other piece on the insurance front that I usually will cover with people is I talk about umbrella or excess policies. And we talk about it both as a, hey, your injuries are bad. And hopefully the people who hit you or caused your injury have an umbrella or excess policy. And can you help us understand what an umbrella or excess policy is? Excess policy, you can get it from your auto insurance. So say you have a $250,000 auto insurance, but you want to have a policy that covers damages or liability higher than that. You can get that through your insurance. You can also get it from another insurance too to cover it. And generally that's protecting assets. So that means that if you do injure someone, they would first have to exhaust your auto policy before they can tap into your excess policy. I think there's a couple excess policies we've seen that have been tacked on top of 100,000, but most of them are 250 plus uh, auto insurance policy. I think most of them are 250 that I've seen. I'd agree with you. In the 20 years of doing this, I've seen one umbrella policy that was on top of 100. The rest start at 250 and, and go up. The other piece of that, and this is how I usually work with clients in terms of them understanding it, is a umbrella policy is, is kind of like a deductible for your auto insurance. If you have like a $500 deductible before, you pay up to $500 and then your insurance pays any damage beyond that if you've hurt damaged somebody else's car. The umbrella policies are, are usually really inexpensive relative to the, the initial policy. You can get multiple layers of millions for not that much money and it's because they very rarely kick in. But if they do kick in, they can be very important for you, particularly if you have assets or may have assets in the future. And again, this is part of the conversation about making whole care for the client and making sure that if they're going to be receiving a lot of money from a settlement down the road, that they're protected in terms of, of that not being taken by somebody should they harm someone in the future. Yeah. And just like a practice point to loop into a previous podcast that we had, Sometimes you don't learn about the defendant having an excess policy until you really ask for it. So you always make it a part of your strategy when running the claim to have them sign off on that. For sure. That makes sense. We only really have one other area of insurance that we cover with our clients, and then that is health insurance. How do you approach this when you're speaking with somebody at the beginning? In the beginning, we want to find out what health insurance, if they have any, if we're going to be dealing with Medi-Cal, Medicare, or some private insurance. Um, if we learn it's a private insurance, we want to figure out if it's a self-funded ERISA insurance plan that generally is seen with employers, large company employers, a lot of tech companies in the Bay area. Most I've seen have, uh, self-funded ERISA policies. And like we discussed in our episode on liens, that changes your strategy, which changes a lot of strategy, especially in the end of your case, when you're trying to negotiate the liens, what's getting paid back. A lot of questions that come up with health insurance with clients is like, why do I have to pay this? Why are they entitled to money for my settlement? And it goes down to it's in the contract. It's contractual. They have a segregation right, meaning that they have a right to being reimbursed for the benefits they paid because you were injured by someone else. Uh, it's not that you came down with a cold person hit you or, or hit a car or something. And uh, why should we have to pay for that? One of the other things I try and do to lessen the blow a little bit is I talk about the public policy behind it as well, which is when you're injured, you're being compensated for your past medical expenses, future medical expenses if necessary, 
past wage loss, future wage loss, and your, your pain and suffering, your non-economic losses. And on the past medical expenses, if you're getting money for it, then the folks who actually paid for it, meaning your health insurance, that's why they're entitled to get some of that back. The idea is that some of the money that you're receiving is for that. And while that helps clients understand things a little bit better as to why this whole process works, that doesn't lessen the frustration with it happening that they have to have this lien that has to be dealt with at the back end. But at least they understand a little bit more why it's there. You want to start that conversation early on so it's not a blind side in the end. Well, I didn't know this was going to happen. You want to get that out front in the beginning, even maybe even before you sign the case. And another thing, when we're talking about health insurance, they're like, I have all these co-pays. Do I have to pay them? Yes, you do. But maybe in your auto insurance, you have MedPay, which is something we haven't talked about yet. And MedPay is an extra provision that you can pay for with your auto insurance that you can use for co-pays or anything medical bill related in California. And if you have insurance, I don't recommend it having like 10000 because you're probably going to hit your deductible with your insurance before that 10000 or your out-of-pocket max, I should say. But having maybe a thousand, that helps you get through your co-pays if you have a bunch of them. And like health insurance, it's, they have a reimbursement rate or your auto insurance does, but that's the lowest on the totem pole. And there's very few circumstances where you end up having to really pay that med pay lien back. If we were to kind of break it down, because with med pay, we're once again talking about auto insurance. When we're kind of the summary for the client conversation is, hey, client, one of the things we're going to need to see is your declarations page for your auto insurance, presuming you have some. And we're hoping that you have a high policy with a lot of underinsured motors because that may become an issue. We're hoping you've got some med pay somewhere between a thousand to, I would say, seventy five hundred. As a recent person who has crashed and been having to pay out my uh, deductible, in my case, I found out I have a seventy five hundred dollar deductible. Yeah, that's a good point. And I'll also point out that my crash was my own fault. I don't have med pay that's going to kick in for that, but a seventy five hundred med pay is usually about the sweet spot for people who have a higher copay on as far as their medical insurance is. Yeah, you want to look at what are my benefits? What do I have to pay? Worst case scenario, and then go from there. Are there any other things that you go over on insurance with clients when you're having that insurance conversation? I kind of always give the little spiel, even if you don't have underinsured motors now, do so even though you don't have it for this incident, get it and get a decent amount of it. I don't wish for you that you're going to get another accident, but it could happen and it happens a lot. And then have your family and friends make sure they have underinsured motors too. Because, you know, you don't want this worst case scenario to happen to them as well. Yeah, and I do a version of that. I evangelize on that underinsured motorist piece because it is so important and it comes up in, in so many of the incidents that we have that I say, I'm going to tell you something. You didn't contact me for this, but you want to get about a five-minute lecture on underinsured motorist. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, to the extent that you can summarize it, give it to other people, because this is something that people need to know about. Right. Hendrik, really appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening today. Please email us at podcast at coopers.law with questions, comments, feedback, and any suggestions you have based on your experience talking about insurance with your clients. Like what you heard? Share us with a colleague and leave a five-star review on your podcast platform of choice. To all of you doing justice out there, happy hunting.